Episode 87, Ted. I can't believe that. Can you think of an 87 from the Browns, their famous thing? What do you What do you think? Keenan, I have one in mind. Do you have? Do you think of anyone? Keenan McCardle. Keenan McCardle. How about Travis Tucker? How about that one? <laughs> Remember him? How about Any Travis Tucker? How about Ron Middleton? Oh my gosh! Yeah. How many? Never other- did I think there'd be a week. And we have some other things to talk about here on the top of the show. A lot going on, by the way, too. Thanks for putting all that together because, as you know, I'm utterly useless. Um, have you had a week where we've had snow and then you got a sunburn the same week? Has that ever no, happened to you? That's no. It's happened to me. This is the first time I couldn't tell you the last time I turned the air on here in the office. We had to last night. I, I, I had to do it. I couldn't. I mean, I, I'm a wuss. I need proper coolness in the house and i'm like oh my gosh we have to do this yeah and earlier in the in the week we're trying to be those people now you're in the springtime not trying to use the furnace not trying to use the air conditioner just for fun you know what i mean we're just going to see how long we can go until we have to do it and we had a breakdown so last night was the was the time huh yeah had to do it okay too hot man yeah too too hot. hot hey before we go any further i want to mention a situation that you and I are both aware of. We just want to pass this along. Seth Williams, classmate of yours, co-worker of mine at WTAM. He is a he is the former Trib Show producer, or a former Trib Show producer, I guess, the Mike Tribisano Show. Um, he recently lost his job at iHeartRadio when, uh, you know, Trib passed, and then they uh, made some changes, and he was uh, let go. Well, Last week, he had to have his right foot amputated due to complications from diabetes. I did not know he had diabetes, but oh, that's, uh, that's, that's, you know. So a Give, Send, Go fundraiser has been set up to help with his recovery and help his family as they move through this obviously challenging and difficult time. So again, Give, Send, Go is the name of the website if you'd like to contribute. And Seth Williams is the young man who, um, you know, facing a lot of uncertainty now uh, with, uh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, he hasn't mentioned on Facebook, which is my main connection with me. He hasn't mentioned, uh, you know, if he's found another job, if so, what it is. And obviously now uh, some other things going on. No, it's really sad. My prayers to, to Seth. He is a good guy. I know him as Seth the Barbarian. Remember yeah. his time as Seth oh, the yeah. Barbarian? Seth WMS, the Barbarian on, on MMS. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Great guy, great family guy. He's uh, certainly all, I'm connected with him as well through Facebook, always spending time with his daughter and his wife and all that. So help him if he can. So give uh, give Seth, a guy who's down right now, give him a little love if he can. Yeah. Now I have another story. This is health related, but it involves me. Just want to Health related? Yeah, I want want to see what your thought is on this. So I went to the doctor a couple of weeks ago and they did a cholesterol. Is this something blood. we really have to talk about? Is this? I, be- I, I think you'll. Uh, I think okay. you'll relate. You know, this is middle-aged men stuff. Oh sure, so, okay. So you know, um, go to the doctor, do a cholesterol screening and all that. And essentially, uh, what we determined is uh, I'm fat, out of shape, fifty, and have high cholesterol. Most of that I already knew. You know, this is spare tire. Yeah, that I mean, I think you, did you see the same doctor's eye? Because I think I was told the same thing. Uh, so yeah, well, I think they all tell you that at this point. But anyhow, so cholesterol, 268. 
268. Oh, that's high, man. Yeah. So I said to my that's wife, I said, Erica, I'm going to start, uh, need to have, you know, eat bananas for breakfast. I've moved to um, flavored water, you know, doing that kind of thing. And I'm trying to find time to exercise. So over the weekend, she says she didn't have time to uh, go shopping for food until yesterday. And she forgets that I said bananas. I used to eat those little uh, breakfast sandwiches. Yeah. She comes home and she says, hey, uh, the breakfast sandwiches were too expensive this week. So I got you this bag of mini donuts instead. (laughs) You have those for breakfast. Now, is this a conspiracy, Ken? Do I need to get Oliver Stone on the phone? Is is uh, I mean, the insu- this life insurance is paid. Is there something going on here that I need to uh, look into? <laughs> we're going to go the opposite. I want a banana. Now we're going to get you a donut. Yeah, several of them. Several small chocolate-covered <laughs> donuts. You're going to have to convo over there. You're going to have to have a quick conversation. Yeah, so. all right. I'd watch. I would I would be concerned maybe with eating some of the food. You know what I mean? I mean, if she starts bumping into me at the top of the steps. I'm going to know something's up. Yep. No okay. doubt. All right. No doubt. Well, coming up on this week's show, we're going to talk to Mike Famalant. He is a 32-year-old EMT firefighter, graphic designer, and Bigfoot researcher. We're going to learn what Bigfooting is all about. Do you know what a perfect score in Pac-Man is, Ken? I have no idea. Well, we're going to tell you in our Overachievers segment. As baseball season gets rolling, we will talk about one of Cleveland's old ballparks, League Park, with our Cleveland historian, John Grabowski. And in Klopp's clips, firefighters have to save a woman who tried to receive her retrieve her lost cell phone. You won't believe where she lost it, nor will you believe why she had to be rescued. Time for some good news, Ted. And uh, oh, I like love good news. I thought I'd bring us some Cleveland good news. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks ago, a gentleman who is a TV legend. I'm not sure if you've ever met him. Leon oh, Bibb. Yeah. I imagine Absolutely. you're familiar with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually, this is when you know you've made it. Yeah. When you have a street named after you, mm-hmm. that's pretty good. So back in April, uh, actually April 7th, Leon Bibb Way was named at East 105th Street and Parkgate Avenue, standing under the street sign bearing the name Bibb, recounted some of the childhood memories growing up at a home just down the street. And that's yeah. kind of where Leon grew up. So yeah. congratulations to him. I mean, my gosh, what a career been in news for such a long time i mean oh, yeah. i think we're looking at all oh, close to 35 40 years if i'm not mistaken so the well the, deserved and now he's know he's made it because guess what he's got a street named after him ted that's pretty impressive yeah the word uh, legend gets thrown around uh, a little too often in my opinion but leon bibb definitely a broadcasting legend now oh, absolutely no I that is not the only good news uh out of cleveland this week cleveland city council uh, has passed legislation for the donation of 200 of its ballistic vests wow. and uh, some non-controlled medications to be used for humanitarian aid and rescue efforts in Ukraine. Oh, that's outstanding. To be donated through the Ohio National Guard. So Ohio, uh, I should say Cleveland doing its part, Cleveland trying to uh, help out a little bit. 
Ted, that's great news. Blah blah blah. 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 Our guest today is an EMT, a firefighter, and a graphic designer. He's also a full-time Bigfoot researcher. He has been doing this for about 10 years. He created his own television show about Bigfooting and a docu-series. So let's talk with Mike Famelot. Mike, thanks for the time. So Bigfooting, I've never heard it as a verb. What is, <laughs> what is Bigfooting? Uh, well, thank you guys for having me. First and foremost, I super appreciate it. Um, Bigfooting would be, I guess, uh, a definition would be the art of finding Bigfoot. Uh, but that would refer to uh, kind of going on expeditions, looking for any sorts of evidence that you can find in the field, whether it be any physical evidence, audio evidence or anything like that. Uh, and then uh, at night, go out on night investigations where we would try to uh, lure, if for lack of a better word, uh, Bigfoot into our camp so we can try to get um, some more evidence of it. Mike, one thing I want to ask, certainly congratulations on your YouTube as well as your docuseries. I think that's very impressive. I'd like to talk about that to an extent. But just so people and our listeners know, I mean, so this is not a hoax. This is something that, you know, you certainly believe in. And the question I have is obviously I try to localize everything. So I went to the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, which mm. I think you're probably familiar with, and they have classifications and things like that. And there's an area that Ted and I know very well called Ashland, Ohio, which is like in the mid-central. You're basically an hour and a half either way, north or south from Cleveland or Columbus. Sure. And recently, the area well. and, and recently in April, or I should say in 2021, they had three different people that had, quote unquote, some sort of sighting or an encounter with Bigfoot. And it's listed as like class A, class B, things like that. Can you go into that? And what basically if, if someone sees Bigfoot or they see something, how does that whole process work? And, and how do they you know, how do you guys verify if, if that's the case or not or, or get an idea of that? Sure. Um, well, it's it's. Um... I am not part of the BFRO. I, I used to be a field researcher with them. However, I do not uh, actively, uh, I'm not with the group anymore. So I can't really speak uh, to the way they uh, run their program over there anymore. However, I can more specifically get into what I would do. If, uh, oh, that'd be great. That's, that's what report. we're looking for. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, if someone calls me and says, uh, hey, Mike, uh, this actually happened uh, last Sunday. Uh, someone Facebook messaged me and said, hey. Uh, I just want to let you know this happened um, over here in High Point State Park, which is uh, a, a, a park in my backyard in northwest New Jersey. And um, so like this happened and this happened. There were rocks thrown and there were some creepy other loud thud sounds. Nothing was seen. Um, and then literally mm, four hours later, I got another report of, hey, something uh, last night looked in my window and it was, I don't know, a quarter mile from where the, the, this person had their sighting. So it was very, very interesting. Um, so what I would do from there is take all the information, as much detail as I possibly could, and then go to the, uh, the, the sites as quick as I possibly could to see if there's any physical evidence left over. 
and then hopefully there would be from there we would take it and um if the if it warrants if the location warrants if the sighting is is we'll say um i hate to say the word good enough but if it's um uh warrants a night investigation in the area then we will set up and do a do an overnight uh expedition oh interesting so tell me about your firsthand experiences with what you attribute to Bigfoot. Have you seen it? Have you, uh, how close have you been? Tell me about those firsthand experiences. Mm, that's a, that's a, a great question. I I've never seen one. Uh, so, so I can't say for a hundred percent that they're out there. Um, I'm, I'm leaning towards like 70% and that always kind of throws people off a little bit when they say, you know, I, when I tell them that I do this full time and people, Oh, you don't believe hundred percent. No, I don't. And that's just because, um, I, I haven't seen one. Um, but from, I guess, first, firsthand experience, you, uh, if you will, was in Terea, uh, state park in Florida. It's a little state park in the Northwest panhandle of the state. Um, right next to Georgia line. It was uh, really cool. We went down there on a Bigfoot expedition. My first time ever in the woods, ever camping. And I saw this thing on TV, uh, finding Bigfoot on TV from, uh, from the BFRO's uh, organization, the TV show. And I was like, they said, um, go under our website and you can come on one of these expeditions. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, went online and saw that for a ridiculous amount of money, you could go and go up to North Florida and be on, you know, go out with these people. So hands down, no question about it. Got the tickets, called up my ex-fiance at the time, said, guess what we're going to do. Right. <laughs> and, and I don't know if that's why she's an ex, but we broke up shortly after that. And then I had to find a person to come bigfooting with me. Uh, so I moved up to Tampa and I worked, got a job on the, the ambulance for the city and, uh, here I am with a non-refundable expensive ticket to go look for Bigfoot in North Florida that's coming up in like a week and I got to find somebody and I don't know anybody. So here I am. I, I get the only person that I've met for more than 12 hours in the city and that's my partner, Jimmy. So Jimmy, this is going to sound like a really weird question, but I got a ticket to go up to North Florida and find look for Bigfoot. Do you want to come? He's like, I've always wanted to do that. And then, boom, today, best friends to this day, if that has any uh, indication of how the relationship has ended up. Uh, but anyways, we go up there, and there's like 60 other people, and it's crazy packed. And we're like, oh, my God, this is insane. Why? How are we going to find Bigfoot with this, this many people here anyways? So we camped uh, further away from this group of like 60 other people because we thought these guys are absolutely crazy. They're looking for Bigfoot, right? not realizing that that's what we're also doing. So we camped kind of further away. Uh, and I think that made all the difference because uh, the last night, nothing happened the, the entire trip, except for the last night where uh, me and my, my friend Jimmy, we were up watching a meteor shower because it was, it was like four o'clock in the morning. It was really, really cool. And we hear this tree knock, which is what a Bigfoot is uh, supposedly known to do to communicate is knock on trees, or I think they kind of clap. But uh, regardless, we hear this one tree knock uh, from, from one direction. And I was like, oh, instantly thought that these are the people that put on the show or put on the expedition because nothing happened. This is how they get their money's worth and get people to come back. And that's, I said, oh, okay, that's cool. You know, 
now we hear a tree knock in the complete opposite direction. I'm like, wow, they got some pretty good stuff going on, right? And then it kind of gets crazy because uh, you take like your fist and make a little bit smaller than a fist size, but a little bigger than a golf ball sized rock kind of comes crashing through the trees. And we're like, wow, I, I get scared, right? Because now I'm like, okay, these people are crazy. Now they're throwing rocks at us, which is another thing that Bigfoot are supposedly, supposedly do. Um, we knew that at the time, but I wasn't thinking Bigfoot at all. I'm thinking like these guys, I, I'm thinking this is how every horror movie ever started. And I need to get out of the woods right now. <laughs> and my friend was like, well, if you want to go sleep in the car, you are more than welcome. And before he could finish the sentence, and I had, I had my whole tent, my whole sleeping bag, everything. And I was running to the car. But finally, he talked some sense into me and was like, Mike, if this is a Bigfoot, this could be really cool. Like, this is something that Bigfoot are, 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 can, can do. And now we heard the tree knocks. It was like, okay, whatever. So uh, over the next 15 minutes or so, um, four more uh, fist-sized rocks came crashing down through the canopy and kind of landed within five to ten feet from us. I'm still freaking out. I have no idea what's going on. My buddy, he's just trying to calm, he's trying to calm me down and trying to calm himself down, I guess, at the same time. Uh, but then Jimmy was like, I'm going to throw a rock back at it. And I said, I don't think that's a good idea. I'm with you. <laughs> because we, we got to, we got a lose, lose scenario going on here, right? Either it's a person no, or it's a Bigfoot and either you're going to catch some charges or you're going to get a pissed off Bigfoot. And I don't think either one of them is a win scenario. So um, regardless, he throws a rock back at it. And uh, I knew it wasn't a person at that exact moment because um, a, a, a boulder the size of a laptop kind of came crashing through the trees and landed like 10 feet from us. Um, and it was obviously outside of human range. Everything stopped after that. Um, and Including was, your heart. Well, yeah, we, we didn't know what to do. We were, we were silenced. We didn't, we didn't speak. I think the rest of the night, the whole time, we, we just kind of like, we're sitting there in, in silence because we had, had no idea. I mean, that's, that's a very startling thing for anybody to experience. That is wild. So basically from that experience, is that part of the reason why you've kind of, you know, certainly got the YouTube page going and things like that and kind of pursued this? Cause that, yeah. I mean, I think anybody in that spot would have said, I think there's something going on here. I mean, Ken, that's exactly what happened. That 15 minutes changed my life uh, forever. Really, it changed the whole projection of, you know, now how many years later we're sitting here talking to you. It's just, um, you asked me if that would have would have happened. And when I bought these tickets, however many years ago, I would have been like, yeah, right. You're absolutely crazy. Okay. So uh, did you share this experience? With the uh, uh, ex-fiance, did she did this uh, offer her any more uh, validity for uh, being an ex, or or was that uh, communication already over by that point? Yeah, the communication was practically done at that point. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so, have you? That was your first experience uh, with anything close to Bigfoot. Have there been others? What keeps you coming back? Oh, it's, it's the, it's the, what keeps me coming back is the, the, the times and times that you don't get any evidence that you go out and you put on this big expedition, you don't get any evidence. And then it gets really, 
you know, you're really kind of being like, this is the last time I'm going to go out because this is get kind of boring. And then boom, you get that rock throw or you get that wood knock or that vocalization that keeps you coming back. And that's, that's what's has happened to me for the past, oh man, we've been doing the show now for six years. So six seasons <laughs> of the <Wow>. show, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we found some really cool evidence. We found uh like a 15 and a half inch uh, barefoot track that was casted up in High Point State Park. And in, in, like I said, in New Jersey, uh, we got vocalizations, a beautiful, long, sustained, Ohio, we call it a Ohio type howl uh, from from uh, High Point as well. Um, I think you asked before what was the closest I've ever been to a Bigfoot, and I would say about 20 yards. Um, and that's no exaggeration, too. That's that's probably far. Um which is wild. Uh, that was a wild night in Whitehall, New York, where we were, were kind of surrounded by Bigfoot. They were being extremely aggressive. They were breaking branches and throwing rocks, hitting trees right next to us, and really just uh, trying to get us out of that uh, that part of the woods we we wandered into. Mike, talk about some of the uh, obviously the the episodes you've put together and things like that about you know hunting Bigfoot and all that. I'm very interested. I had the opportunity to look at some of it. It's very well done, but to talk about that and where people could find some of that. Oh, sure. Yeah. I appreciate the, uh, the compliment there. Um, yeah, I put the show together because uh, I was tired of all the, the shows on TV because I had been doing Bigfooting for a while before I put the show out. And, and I, I was watching all these shows and really getting into it. And I was like, man, these don't really portray how Bigfooting actually is. It's, it's all kind of like made, they're all made for TV, for the views and, and for everything like that. So I was like, I'm, I have the, the experience. I'm just going to make a show to show people what Bigfooting really is. And it seems to have caught on. Uh, our YouTube currently has 1.5, almost 1.6 thousand followers. Uh, our Facebook's doing pretty well. Uh, we have a, a good following on Instagram. So um, it seems to... Um, uh, you mentioned like the, 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 how the show is as, as well. And it's filmed in like an amateur style and yep. that's um, that's done on purpose. I could get like some big expensive equipment and hire crews and stuff, but I don't want to do that because in hopes of me making the show in an amateur style, it, 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 it would, would hope, I would hope that the next generation of Bigfooters or, or whoever uh, can get their camera and start and, and doing their own show and, and get out in the woods, which is the, the reason why I made the show. Uh, the whole mission of the show is to get people outside into nature off the couch. So whether you're Bigfoot or not, that's, that's the um, go outside and take a hike is, is kind of not, not in a bad way. <laughs> I love that message. I think that's really cool. I do. That's great. So Mike, if people want to uh, follow you, and your uh, expeditions on uh, social media, or if they think they've spotted or had a Bigfoot experience, what are the best ways to follow you and contact you? Yeah, uh, our YouTube is Sussex County Bigfoot is the channel name, or you could just search our show in the shadow of Big Red Eye. Uh, and that's the same with our uh, Facebook. It's in the show's name in the shadow of Big Red Eye. And if you've had a sighting or want to talk to me, you can message uh, me through there. Uh, and then our Instagram is shadow of red eye. And that's just uh, kind of like a behind, behind the scenes of the show type of little thing. You get to see some of the cool journeys and stuff that you don't get to see on the show. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Good luck. And uh, 
Uh, I hope you see Bigfoot at some point, but you don't get hit by a rock. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, best of luck and thanks for your time today. Yeah, I had a blast. Thank you guys. Ted, time for one of your favorite segments. I know every segment I do, you really enjoy, but this is one of your favorites. You can really buy this. Now, we're trying to keep things more local. Sure. I like to do research over the weekend to get ready for this show. Hours of research. And I came across something that I didn't know existed. Hmm. Did you know that you can buy multiple different items that are Cleveland-based, get it put in a box, and then send it out anywhere in the country? No. Did you know this? No. Yes. This is called Cleveland in a Box. Pretty easy to remember. Yeah. So I, I went through this. I thought it'd be very cool to kind of talk about some of the companies and some of the items that you can get in Cleveland in a Box. If you're interested in this, you can go to clevelandinabox.com. Basically, you fire up the computer, and then you choose your box. And uh, Very important. Kudos to the marketing department there for that uh, uh, name, by the way. Absolutely. <clears throat> now you can get 10 items, Ten five items. items. Now, if it was something for you, I definitely would get 15 items, but I think we're going to go to a box where we get three items. Three items. Okay. So here's the different items you can get. Once again, clevelandinabox.com. Check it out for yourself. Some of your favorite items are going to be on here, Ted. Okay. The first one I saw, Sweetie's Candy Company. Oh, yeah. Sweeties. One of your favorites. Yep. Bertman Ballpark Mustard. Yes, love the ballpark mustard. Now, you also get their horseradish sauce, which I would be very interested in. Mm, I, I mean. um, barbecue sauce by Pope's Kitchen. I thought that was kind of cool. Okay. Um, they have some gimmicky things, too. Like, <laughs> you can get a Cleveland construction cone. That's kind of cool with the Cleveland, Cleveland construction on it. Okay. <laughs> a Cleveland guitar pick. A Cleveland bandana, a bottle opener, a mug. Uh, a couple of the other items were very cool. They had some stuff from Great Lakes, a sticker. Um, they also had uh, you know opportunity that you could get some beer. A, a Guardian Cleveland wooden ornament. That's kind of cool. Oh, okay. Um, that's not the family. baseball team. That's the, uh, that's the uh, sculpture, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, some honey from McCune family. Ooh. And then the... Oh, absolutely. You can get some old Brooklyn cheese. Uh, you get some cheese and some mustard, which is very cool. I think this item that I'm going to mention might be the coolest one of the bunch. Okay. Lake Erie Sand. You can get a small <laughs> bottle of Lake Erie Sand. <laughs> I didn't even know you could do that. That I, I think that's very clever. I will give I will give credit to that. Lake Erie so, Sand. You a ton of other items. Lakewood pasta, you get some pasta from them. Six Shooter Coffee, another Cleveland-based company. Uh, Smart Bark, organic chocolate bark. I know that's something you would really enjoy. Mm -hmm. I know you don't have an animal, but maybe you'd enjoy it yourself. Um, yeah. Bourbon Sugar. And then another good one would be the Humphrey Popcorn Company Euclid Beach Popcorn Bowl. I mean that that's pretty cool. So now, now the the sand from Lake Erie Beach or a Lake Erie Beach does that come with a certificate of authenticity? I want. You know, I'm gonna guess probably yes. It's okay. got uh, it says it right on top. Yeah, 
Okay. Right on top. It's like in a little, small little bottle. You can, okay. you can send a message in a bottle, small little bottle with a cork on top. So that's pretty neat. So I thought this week we would go local, talk about uh, certainly something that's pretty neat. Cleveland in a box. All your favorite Cleveland companies are in there. And you can, uh, you can really buy this stuff. Cleveland! This is for you! Another edition of Cleveland Sports History. We are honored and privileged to be joined by the one and only Mr. Dusty Sloan. And Dusty, I know usually we've talked about Cleveland Browns. We talked a little Cavs. I thought, obviously, with the Guardians starting up, be perfect time to talk about some Guardians or slash, don't say this name out loud, Indians history. So we moved to April 29th. 1931 Cleveland Indians pitcher Wes Farrell no hits the St. Louis Browns nine and nothing that's a pounding talk to me a little about Wes Farrell and uh, if I'm not mistaken he was on the brink of the Hall of Fame or he's in the Hall of Fame for some reason that name really rings a bell with me with when it comes to uh, very good pitchers well, Wes Farrell, first of all, we're talking about the Bra- or the Indians and the Guardians. We will be referring to them as the Indians when they were the Indians. We're not going to be whitewashing history here. But I like that. As far as Wes Farrell goes, yes, he did throw that no-hitter on uh, April 29th of 31. And now the interesting thing about that is he did face 32 batters. He did walk three and struck out eight. But remember, back in the day, batters had to pit or pitchers had to bat in the American League. So what did yes. Wes Farrell do? He not He didn't give up a hit. And then he had two hits of his own, including a home run. So he actually out hit the St. Louis Browns two to nothing. <laughs> Can he do any more? Wow. He drove in four, he drove in four runs and his batting average for the season at that, that time was 429. How so, many hot dogs did he sell? <laughs> oh, he might've jumped off and uh, did some of that as well. But Wes Farrell started pitching for the Indians. He pitched his first game in 27 as a 19 year old. And he did win 20 games, four years in a row. And then, like every other good Cleveland player that we've had, he was either traded or de- or sold or something. And then they pitched for the Red Sox and Washington and the Yankees and bounced around a little bit. But probably not a Hall of Famer. He won 193 games and had an ERA in his career of over four. So, but he was a heck of a pitcher that day. Well, his brother Bob was probably a little bit better, right? Bob, Bob. Farrell. <laughs> Making sure you guys are paying attention. <laughs> well, it's interesting because. Uh, Wes Farrell pitched during a time when there were, I mean, you talk about the Cleveland uh, pitching roster. It was a, a heck of a group back at that point. And I don't think a lot of people are familiar with Wes Farrell. No, his name gets lost pretty well when you talk about some of the pitchers that the Indians had back then. And, and, the, and the interesting thing is the guys around him. I mean, Luke Sewell was his catcher that day. Wow. And Earl Averill was the center fielder that day. So obviously his name was going to be lost in the wash there a little bit, but you talk about Mel Harder and he was only 13 and 14 that year, but he was a 21 year old. So he had a lot of big time players around him at that point. Yeah. You brought up one point, obviously with the success that Farrell had in that game, you know, getting hits and runs and the game of baseball is changing so much now that we are going to have, you know, the loss of the DH here pretty soon and all that. Dusty, do you think as though, the mindset and just where things are at for, for the guys back in 1931. I mean, do you think they can even adjust and, and play the way that, that we, that things are now? I mean, it's just almost seems like a completely different game. 
It, it most certainly is. When you talk about get, getting rid of, or getting rid of pitchers batting and having in the universal DH, when you talk about all the other things that they're banning the shift, when yeah. you talk about banning the shift, that's, that's a tacit admission that Major League Baseball hitters can't adjust. Because mm-hmm. they've had several years to adjust, and guys are still striking out 200 times a year. They're still hitting 210 because they're hitting into the shift. Back then, guys, well, back then, guys probably would have punched guys if they would have been in the shift. They wouldn't have <laughs> liked it. They probably would have just gone out and hit them. But I mean, this day and age, I, I, it's a much different game. And I just don't think that the ability to adjust is there because they the players just feel like they're going to get paid regardless whether they hit 310 or 210. So they're just going to go out and do what they want to do anyway. All righty then. Dusty Sloan with that blunt enough. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Don't mince any words, Dusty. Tell us how you feel. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, a little uh, information on Wes Farrell and Dusty Sloan's feeling on the shift. Next time we'll uh, get it. We'll ask him about the color blue and the designated hitter. (laughs) Thank you, Dusty. Thanks, guys. Cleveland! This is for you! Time for Overachievers segment. Don't even ask. I I know the question. Don't even ask. Okay. If we were in there, I would tell you. I'm going to be honest with you. Got it. We got to talk to some people here. Yep. Well, South... African woman has broken her own world record swimming 295 feet, three inches under ice. <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't even want to think about that. I'm, I'm good. Amber Flinnery pulled off the record without fins or a diving suit. That's insane. Wow. Her previous record was 229 feet, eight inches. She is from Norway and also holds the record for the longest underwater walk with one breath. The record is, what? 359 feet. Longest underwater walk with one breath. That's some uh, wow. oxygen control right there. Well, I hate to see if something goes wrong. It, I well, mean, done. that's true. That's not the only under overachiever that we have, though, Ken. Okay. We're going to stay international here. Poland. Powell. Szczynski must be a cousin of mine. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. He broke the world record for longest game of football manager when he played 416 seasons, 134 (laughs) days of in-game time. His last match in the game was played on May 18th of 2434. In that virtual time, he won 1,258 trophies, scored 58,900 goals in 22,300 matches. He won 71% of his team's matches. This is really impressive. What I, I will ask this for, and many people at home probably don't know. I don't know. What is football manager? What is that? Some kind of a soccer game, I guess. I, Holy I, moly. Video wow. game. Yeah, I, you got I me. The people in Poland got to be finding something else to do. Holy Well, cow. that could be. Ted, we have another overachiever. I, I, yeah, I three of them. Wow. We got uh, we got someone a little bit lo- more local here. Closer okay. to home, a Pennsylvania man is now one of just 11 people in the world to achieve a perfect score in the 1980 arcade game Pac-Man. Wow. wow. 
Jake Goldberg completed all 256 levels in four hours and 12 minutes. He racked up 3,333,360 points, the highest score possible in the game. Wow. Wow. The group that keeps track of this is called Twin Galaxies. Might be a group we want to be a part of. Yeah. Goldberg now says he wants to get the highest possible score in Galaga. I remember that game. Yeah, that sure. would be that would apparently take more than 16 hours to pull off. Huh. Now, does where it do these say people have this time? Where's the time for this? <laughs> does it I have say time to talk to you on a pocket? Where I know, do they have yeah. time to play these games? When 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 he was breaking the record for Pac-Man, as he got closer to the record, do you think the people watching were going Goldberg? Goldberg. Do you think that was, ha- I wonder if that was happening. You and I would do that. Yes, yes. absolutely. If we were working for Twin Galaxies. We definitely did. That's it. All right. Well, wow. people with uh, <clears throat> a lot of time on their hands, but certainly overachievers. <laughs> Miss Speak of the Week now. Last week we celebrated Earth Day. And guess who? President Joe Biden, he gave a speech in Seattle. Now, during that speech, he talked about energy efficient vehicles. I'm going to start the process where every vehicle in the United States military, every vehicle is going to be climate friendly. Okay, I got that. Yep. Okay. But minutes later, in the same speech, probably shouldn't have said this. I'm an automobile buff. I have a 68 Corvette that does nothing but pollute the air. <laughs> uh, that's uh, I guess he's honest. I guess, I, I guess honesty is the best policy there. I don't know. I, I, I would think that, uh, you know, that's probably, you know, some of those remarks might have been prepared and some of them not. And somebody he went off script. He Mr. Went off President, script. please. Please stay on on point, but uh, yeah. So he's got he's going to have the military energy efficient, but he's going to keep that '68 Corvette that just pollutes the heck out of the air. I, I, oh, I don't know what else to say, but that is the misspeak of the week. Talk Ted, guess what? What? Guess what? I was out and about again. No way. Went to a couple different venues. Great opportunity to talk about some great places and a fine CLE and the outskirts. Okay. Um, got a couple here for you. Many of the same, but I'm not going to bring those up. Now, the first one I'm going to bring up would not be considered a local company. However, I must say that this particular place, what they do and how it's, you know, what they have is outstanding. It's Whole Foods. Oh, now, okay. many people don't know this. Some of the Whole Foods, like the one they have in Rocky River, it has a bar, which a I bar. know is very surprising for many people. Yes. It has a bar this, that this you know that it has 16... a bar. <laughs> which one? Oh, I know it has a bar. I've been there. <laughs> I know, yeah. It's my favorite bar. I'm not going <laughs> There's 16 different taps there, different craft beers. The people that run it are great. In the part that's nice, I know I'm in a grocery store, but it's not super busy. You know what I mean? It's not like people are running around trying to pick up plates and all that stuff because people are shopping. And the part that's nice, 
if I want to shop with my beer, I can do that. Oh my god! You can walk around the store with your beer. Yeah, it's great. Wow. I don't shop at Whole Foods very often, but if I need a couple items, I make sure I take care of that. There's another name for Whole Foods. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, it's Whole Paycheck. Whole Paycheck. Yeah. Okay. Um, I met with a friend in Lakewood and actually supported a gentleman who was on our podcast, um, Justin Grabowski. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, Justin Grabowski. Justin. How about Justin Gorski? I don't uh, know who Gor- Justin Grabowski is. Yeah, Justin Gorski is DJ Kishka. DJ Kishka. Him and his wife own Cleveland Vegan, so I actually went there. They have some of the best coffee, period. They have their own special blend from a uh, another coffee company here in the Cleveland area. It is outstanding, so I highly recommend there. I was there. I went to the wine bar in... Uh, Rocky River. I think you might have been. Did we go there at one point in time? I think we might have. Oh, yeah, yes, okay. you met us there. Yes. So it was cool. This was on Saturday when it was like 80 degrees. So um, super nice. Had some great food. We then had dinner in, I call it Bay Village. I think a lot of people call it that. <laughs> Bay Village. Okay. Yep. Went to Timetable. Great place. Once again, good food, great drinks. And then we uh, had some dessert at a place called Zang- Sangria. We had a Spanish coffee, which is Ooh. outstanding. They basically take this coffee, put a flame to it, and then they put all these different toppings on it. It's, it's very good. I can imagine the calories have to be really low on that. Um, Ironwood Cafe. Have you been there in Bay Village? I think you have at one point. Time. I don't know. You might have been there. Nice, cool place. Uh, pretty good food. They have some great drinks. They make you a nice cocktail. And then the highlight, the highlight of the week. And if I, once I say this name, you're going to go crazy. We had Mitchell's ice cream. No. Mitchell's ice cream. Wow. Just the best. That place okay. is unbelievable. And here's the secret, okay? So when you go by Mitchell's and you see long lines, yeah. there's a way to get around that. Oh, what's the way? Don't buy the Sunday, okay? Don't but don't get that. Go go right inside. Go to the cooler and pick out the pint. Grab oh. the pint. They'll give you free cones, and you're out the door. Oh. The line at the one we went by Westlake yesterday. We went by the uh, the one in Rocky River. The line was out the door in the parking lot. And anyone's like, oh, my gosh, you'll never get here. I said, I know what to do. And I was told this from a worker. I went huh. in, cut in front of everybody, grabbed my pints, went to the front. I was out in three minutes. She's like, that's unbelievable. I said, yeah, that's what you have to do. So wow. word of the wise. And then finally, Ted, the golf season started. Okay. Got back on the links. And uh, it wasn't pretty, but uh, special thanks out to our friends at Bobo Link and Avon. They, they uh, supported myself and Avon. It was a nice afternoon. I, I played not great, but it was just nice to play. So. There you go. Nice. There you go. That's that's what that was us. There was out and about. Now, I believe you told me for the second consecutive time you were out and about as well. Were you not? Yeah, we went to a Monsters game. We were fortunate enough to have the opportunity to have a practice before the Monsters game. We got to practice on the ice there at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, which was cool. The kids got a big kick out of that. So we, we got an hour of ice time and we got to practice. That's and then awesome. we stayed for the game. So that, that was that was really cool. 
we also saw a couple movies this weekend. We saw uh, the uh, Bad Guys movie, and we saw Sonic 2. Both oh, cool. A lot of fun movies. My son has awesome. read uh, a lot of the Bad Guys books, so uh, he was very excited about that. But, oh, That's cool. Yeah. So there we are. Well, Ted, Everybody's out and about. We are out and about loving it. Well, it's time for another Cleveland history lesson. And of course, that means our professor, Dr. Doctor. Well, can we call you doctor? I imagine we probably could. Well, you know, if you've got an acre pain, please do. <laughs> John Grabowski joins us. And John, interesting topic for you today. We like to talk about some famous um, buildings, things like that around the Cleveland area. And one that certainly comes to mind for many people is League Park. Obviously, that's been there for a very long time. I know that was kind of revamped, uh, obviously not used as it was once created. But tell us what you have and what you know about League Park. Oh, gosh. League, League, League Park is, well, it's legendary in my family because my father used to go to baseball games there. <laughs> so that, 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 will, that will date me. But it, uh, it's part of, you know, baseball became the American sport in the years after the Civil War. And a guy named Frank DeHaas Robeson in Cleveland I, I, uh, basically wanted to get a new stadium for what were known as the, the Cleveland Spiders, which were a team in the old American Association. They, they would eventually get to the National League. And, uh, and there had been baseball stadiums before closer into town. Bear with me, but you know, a lot of them were wooden and it would burn down. And Robeson <laughs> decided to, uh, to build his, you know, around East 60th and uh, Lexington Avenue out in the Huff neighborhood. And one of the reasons he did that because he made his money running a streetcar line. It's actually a cable car at first, but then an electric streetcar. And the line ran out that area. So why not put a stadium for the most popular sport in town at the end of your line? And so that he made money two ways there, if you will. Uh, initially it was a wooden park. Uh, it, it had seating for 9,000. And I believe in 1910, uh, the Osborne Engineering Company of Cleveland, which has built multiple stadiums around the country, built a brick and concrete building there and, and increased uh, capacity. Uh, so it, it, was, it was the home of, of the Cleveland Spiders, who became the worst team in baseball one year. And then with the creation of the American League in the United, and Cleveland having one of the initial franchises, uh, the Cleveland Blues or Broncos, as they were called, eventually the Cleveland Naps, the Cleveland Indians, and today the Cleveland Guardians. That's where they played uh, there. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is a field of dreams. It was mm -hmm. a field of dreams. It, it was, the, uh, was the site where Cleveland won the 1920 World Series. Uh, it was the site where Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak was broken. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it was the site where Babe Ruth hit his 500th home run. Uh, so you can name all these things. And my friends who are real baseball groupies can go one thing after another. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very powerful actor. And it, it just showed up uh, in, uh, in a film, uh, The War on the Diamond, that was just at the, uh, at the Cleveland International Film Festival, which is about the, the beating and the death of uh, Ray Chapman, the Cleveland shortstop. That took, place oh, yeah. in New York. that took place in New York, but there was a memorial plaque that was at League Park. So yeah, League Park was was the home of the Indians, and 
and really uh, full time until 1931 when Municipal Stadium opened up. And, uh, and then the team began to play some games at Municipal Stadium, but as the depression hit, uh, the stadium was just so big and, and, it, and it took a toll on the team because the outfield line was much, much, much longer there. So they began to play most, almost all their uh, weekday games back at League Park and their uh, holiday and Sunday games, if you will, would be at Cleveland Stadium. Hmm. And that, that would change in the late 40s when uh, Bill Vec took over the team and uh, really pumped it up. You got 2.2 million people coming to Municipal Stadium at one year. So League Park was, was abandoned in the late 40s, but it was also the place where the Cleveland Buckeyes, the world champions in the Negro Leagues played. It was the place where Case Western, Case and Western Reserve used to play football once in a while. The Cleveland Rams played football there. And um, after the stadium was closed, it was the place where the Cleveland Browns, until I think around, around 1960, would hold their practice sessions. Mm. Uh, so eventually the, the stands were torn down and it became a, a park and there was a swimming pool in part of the uh, area. And, and, and then finally in a, I think it was uh, 1914, 1914, excuse me, century behind <clears throat> that it became what it is today. Uh, it's a national, it's a landmark, city landmark. The city invested money uh, and it is the site of Cleveland's Baseball Heritage Museum. And that's a place that you really have to go. And mm -hmm. the most amazing thing about Lake Park for me is that uh, they put in artificial turf just uh, for the uh, infield sand and for all the green spaces. But when you stand on home plate in Lee Park, it is exactly in the same spot that it was all the time. And so if you stand oh. there and, and you look out to right field, you see this big screen wall. It's a reproduction of the screen that was there. It's a short wall. Mm -hmm. it's, it's Cleveland's version of the green monster. And it was over that wall that Ruth hit his, his 500th home run. So you can stand there and you can try to bat lefty and you can pretend you're Babe Ruth. <laughs> you, can, you can sense the distances. It's, it's, it's just a remarkable place. And the fact that it has been rescued, it's become the core of uh, a new revitalization of the Huff neighborhood. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, I think it, it says a lot and it, and hopefully it'll attract a lot of young people there to get the sport and live and to get it growing again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and if you knew League Park at that time, at, when it was blossoming, that area was solid businesses and homes all the way around it. So it was like Wrigley Field in a way. It was an inner city park. You know, Fenway, Wrigley Field, League Park are those old parks that are right plunk in the middle of the city. And you'd, you'd get a different feeling. Uh, my dad would go there and uh, his uh, uh, his, his favorite dining place was uh, down on Wade Park Avenue, Meharis Steakhouse. Uh, mm. That's where a lot of the team members would go for, for their steaks and, and drinks and whatever else. So, yeah, uh, I'm kind of attached to it. I've never seen a game there. I uh, just remember my father taking me to the stadium and, and <laughs> basically complaining about what a barn it was compared to League Park. <laughs> the other thing they said about League Park is the Fans were so close to the field that you could shout epitaphs, if you will, at the players, and they heard you. Wow. Couldn't do that at Municipal Stadium because it was such a big, hulking field. Yeah, yeah. Well, I recall uh, before it was uh, re uh, um, rehabbed, I recall being curious, going down there and finding it. And at the time, 
like I say, it wasn't rehab, and you could still see in the ground the tunnels or what was left of the tunnels where the teams would walk from the locker room to the to the dugout and, and that kind of thing. So there was still those aren't there anymore, but there was still even a little bit more left than than what's there now. It was, it was very interesting. Um, why was League Park was League Park um, phased out, replaced, whatever you want to call it, because of a problem with League Park or simply because of the availability of this larger facility, John? It, it was, was largely the availability of a larger facility, which then became a smaller facility when you got what is now Progressive Field right. built. Okay, so we continue to do that. Uh, but it was, a, it was a tight park. And one of the reasons that Vec left it is because he had marketed the team so well that he was drawing crowds of 50, 60, 70,000 people to the stadium. And, and it was the money factor there. And, uh, and, and for the Browns, it basically, that, that would, that would you know, be an idea. The stadium was an ideal site, I guess, in a way, on the lakefront, if you will. But it, it could house those large crowds that would eventually, not initially, but eventually, come to watch football. My gosh. Well, John, it's unbelievable all the different things that happen in League Park. And I got a huge history lesson today, not knowing that necessarily other things besides baseball were taking place there. I had no idea that the Browns were using that as a training facility. I had no idea about that. Yeah, it was practice field. Yeah. And it's, and you know, the, the Rams played there and, you know, the Rams won the NFL championship before they, I think before they moved out to uh, Los Angeles. So yeah, that's unreal. That, yeah. That's crazy. Well, John, thanks for the history lesson, as always, as we learn more information about a very historic place, Leak Park. Thanks again, John. My pleasure, guys. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. Here we go with the news, Ken. Pay attention now. A parent dressed as the Easter Bunny handed out colorful eggs at an elementary school in Austin, Texas last week. Most filled with candy. Some had packages of condoms inside. <laughs> Apparently, the mistake was an honest one. A parent who works at a pharmacy was dressed as the Easter Bunny for a safe sex presentation at an area clinic. She had the costume on when she went to pick up her child and was mobbed by other kids. She handed out eggs filled with candy, but ran out and asked her husband to get more. He apparently went to the car and grabbed eggs from the other presentation. Mom, what is this? What did I get? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can you imagine that if that came I, home? I don't. <laughs> mom, this is a heck of a, of a, of a oh, balloon. Man. Can you blow up this balloon, Mom? No. No, I cannot. Oh, gosh. Uh... And you notice how the husband is always to blame. You catch that? That's a great call. Yeah. It's his fault. Yeah. Yep. We don't point out that maybe mom should have changed out of that bunny costume before she went to the elementary school. <laughs> that would be the logical thing. No, it's the dad's fault. So. No, right. that's how it is. Yep. A Florida bride and caterer are under arrest, accused of putting pot in lasagna and bread served at the bride's wedding. What is going on? About 40 people attended the wedding and police were called when guests started feeling weird. One guy said he felt like he had drugs in him. I don't know what that, I don't know how you, well, anyhow. 
Several people were taken to Orlando area hospitals for sickness and feeling high or stoned. Police tested samples of the food and the lasagna and bread were positive for THC. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Ted, that won't happen for my no, wife. Not in, uh, no, not, not in May. Wife. That's not going to happen. Not happening, dude. No. Okay. We're not sure. doing that. No, right. no surprises. No, You're okay. on your own if you want that. Okay. Cops in Missouri say a pickup hit two semis, sending the uh, pickup crashing out of control and littering the highway with its contents. More than 500 pounds of marijuana. Oh. 500 pounds oh of marijuana. It took two patrol cars to carry all the pot collected at the scene. The two men in the pickup, both from Mexico, faced charges. By the way, the date of the crash, you want to guess? Yep. Oh, let's go. 420? 420. Of course. 420. A lot of of pot stories this week. I don't know. Yeah, it is. Now, there's no pot. uh, There's no pot in this story, although, well, at least none that's been reported, but maybe. I don't know. A woman in an outhouse at a national forest. By the way, this is how most good stories start. A woman in an outhouse at a national forest. Yeah. Yeah, she dropped her cell phone into the toilet. Oh, man. Now, when I told my wife about this story, she said, okay, stop. Because right there, I'm not, the, the phone's done. Phone's yeah, out. But, yeah, that's, that's out, it's out of commission. Yeah. So, woman drops her phone into the toilet in the outhouse at the National Forest. Then, she fell in trying to retrieve it. Oh, no, no, no. The woman no. apparently took the toilet seat apart and tried using dog leashes to get the phone. I don't know how you think that was going to work, but she eventually tried using the leashes to tie herself off. Again, I, I wish we had, too bad they didn't, didn't have any footage of this, but okay. Uh, obviously, the tying off, that failed, and she fell in head oh, first. Head on, first, Ken. Oh, my gosh. Then... She spent 10 to 15 minutes trying to get out on her own before she finally used the phone she was reunited with to call 911. She spent 15 minutes trying to get out on her own. Oh, firefighters got her out, washed her down. She was apparently uninjured, but strongly encouraged to seek medical attention after being exposed to the human waste. The fire department said she just wanted to leave. The chief said he has been a firefighter for 40 years. This was a first. <laughs> this was a first. This was a first. Some woman trying to take dog leashes <laughs> to propel herself down to get her phone. Where's the dogs at? They just let them run around? You're not going to find a random dog leash. Maybe she kills oh, them. I don't know. If it, this is the word of the wise, if that yeah. happens to anybody, let it be. Let it. Like the Beatles said, let it be. Yeah. You, okay. You're done. No, no phone for you. Oh. Okay. There, there we yeah. go. I, 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 the only thing I have oh, left boy. to do is to close up this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. Not a 
dad joke. Ken, I'm very concerned about our calendar. Why? Well, it's days are numbered. That joke was horrible. Ken, we're wrapping up episode 87. 87, Ken. Two middle-aged men in Cleveland. 87. Someone the other day was asking me how many we've done, and I'm like, I think we, and then I looked, I'm like, 80, we've done 87 of these. That's 87, crazy. yeah. It's nuts. Amazing. Well, next week on the show, Cleveland author Connie Laux is going to join us. Now, you might not know her by that name, but she's got several other pen names that you might recognize. So we're going to talk to her about uh, what it takes to be an author and uh, see what all's involved there. Did you, you want me to what? talk? You want what? me to say something? I would like to say something. Go ahead. I have known Connie for a long time. She's an outstanding writer and uh, very quick-witted. I, I know that'll be a great interview, so I'm looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, it's, I, we're, once again, our theme is we're trying to support local people. Here's someone that lives in Brexville, grew up, grew up in Cleveland. Her dad was a police officer, which is, I think, where she gets a lot of her ideas from. And uh, just be nice to talk to her, to talk about writing and how do you publish 65 books? That's crazy. Yeah, that's that. that's pretty impressive. Be now, a great conversation. Speaking of staying local, before we go, I, I this uh, caught my eye. Uh, Cleveland Municipal Court Judge Pinky Susan Carr is facing a two-year suspension of her law license. Did you see this? I have not. Well, the Ohio Board of Professional Conduct says between 2017 and 2020, she, she well, she issued arrest warrants for defendants who didn't appear in court during the pandemic. That's probably a problem. Yeah. She dismissed cases for those who did appear. So I guess if you show up, you just, you know, you're off the hook. Yeah. He also apparently joked about accepting bribes and then lied about her behavior. Hmm. This is interesting. Now, she claims these things were caused by a generalized anxiety order that's brought on by menopause and sleep apnea. Hmm. I, <laughs> well, I can't speak about menopause. Yeah. For many different reasons. Sleep apnea, we've talked about that before. Yeah. It, it does affect your life, but I Has don't it know. Caused you to, do, you, is... do you ever joke about accepting bribes as a result of sleep apnea? I joke all the time, but okay. that's not because of my sleep apnea. Okay. Wow. So anyhow, so two-year was... suspension. Yeah. That's wow. Be... Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, you know. Just a lot of different crazy stories and crazy stuff going on, man. Yeah. Unbelievable. Speaking of odd, would you, why don't you ask me a question? Who are we? Cat? Who are we? Yeah, who are we? Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland. Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland is sponsored by Westminster AV custom audio-visual packages for all occasions. I'm an automobile buff. I have a 68 Corvette that does nothing but pollute the air.